Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. I don't like talking to humans. <laughs> what fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Well, somebody has to talk to the pizza guy. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. Gold star, gold star, I got my gold star. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. Move aside, whippersnappers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week, we're talking about asking for what we want and teaching our daughters to do the same. I feel like we need a thumping disco women's empowerment song right here, <laughs> Amy. Do, 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 do. I got this topic idea from this week's guest. It's uh, Marissa Porges. She is the author of the new book, What Girls Need, How to Raise Bold, Courageous, and Resilient Girls. We're going to be talking to her a little bit later in this episode. But what I got out of this terrific book is that girls, daughters, need to be trained in the arts of asking and negotiating because that is something that not only do we not teach girls to do as effectively as boys, but we also don't like it when women ask or negotiate or speak up. It's something that our society has a little bit of a problem with. So you have to teach your kids to do it better, not because they're bad at it, but because society kind of doesn't like it. So I wanted to talk about that. <laughs> I have a really, really good friend who's a hilarious person. And she is a lawyer in California. And she had a hilarious quote on Facebook that she was like, if I had a dime for every time, like an old dude was like, you know, back in my day, women didn't speak to people like oh. that. <laughs> She's like, yeah, guess what, dude? Your day is done. We allow women to speak now, you know? Right. But I, I do think like there's a type of female communication that sometimes people find very off-putting. Yes. Yes. I'm not saying that's a good thing, by the way. I'm saying that's not a good thing, but it is. It's a changing dynamic, and like all changing dynamics, it is fraught. Well, like, okay, AOC gets called a name outside of Congress, right? And the person is called out for having called her that name, and then the problem becomes that people don't like how she's calling out this person for having called her a name. Like, the problem is that this person disrespected a woman in Congress, not how that woman who is disrespected reacted. But we very quickly moved to like, well, don't say it like that. Say it like this. We just give women a much smaller room to run around in. Yeah. And we're just in a time of like very fundamental change, which is hard for people too. I think, you know, I mean, I think 
traditional ideas about gender and how people should act when they are a member of a gender and stuff. It's like all shifting on people. And so I think some people have the response to kind of cling to what I would maybe describe as some outdated ideas about how genders should. You know, it isn't just that people think that women shouldn't speak up. Okay, here's a study. Should I start with a study? Because I thought this one was from Marissa Porges's book. A study that Linda Babcock and Sarah Lashever who studied, you know, women asking and negotiating versus men. They had a bunch of people play boggle, which is a word game. Oh, I love boggle. If you guys don't have boggle, get yourself some boggle. Yeah. So that's a that's a rainy afternoon's good time right there. So about 75 people played boggle, some men, some women, and they were told that at the end they would be given a cash reward for their time for having played boggle of somewhere between three and ten dollars. And you know, we'll give you some cash at the end. At the end of the game, they were given $3. And the, whoever, you know, the researcher handed them $3 and said, is this okay? All people had to do was say, well, I'd like more. All they had to do was say that to get it. Men were eight times more likely to say that than women. Yeah, that tracks. Yep. And the female assistant was way more likely, if it was a female researcher running the game, she was way more likely to be asked for more money than a man. By both or by the men? By both men and women, but especially, yeah, the easiest thing was the man saying to the woman, okay, I'm going to need more money, right? And the hardest dyad would be a female asking the male researcher, can I please have more money? I brought this study up because I thought it was so fascinating. I said, because I wouldn't ask for more money. I, they'd give me $3 and I'd say, sure. I mean, it's not like milk for my baby. You know, it was just like, sure, $3 or $10. Right. It's boggle money. You're not expecting a lot out of playing boggle. Right. I would definitely say, oh, thanks. And I was telling my 17-year-old son about this study, and he was like, I wouldn't. And I said, you wouldn't? And he's like, I'd say, like, I guess it's okay, but I'd rather $10. And I was like, you would? And just the ease with which he saw that moment is like, of course you just ask for more. Right. I just thought that was eye-opening. Yeah. I mean, we go to a lot of conferences and such as an extension of our work, and I feel like there's always a lot of talk about this topic. Like, kind of asking for what you're worth. And, you know, a lot of the women-centered stuff that we end up in conversations with people about is, okay, if someone comes to you and wants to run this kind of campaign, and and the women are always telling each other, double what you think you're going to ask for, and then let them tell you a number. And you'd be surprised how many times people don't come back at you, you know, but we have a tendency to be like, pleasing and polite and, well, I mean, it seems a lot to ask, you know, Yes, for money, for what I do. That seems a little yes. you know, forward of me. Yes. So same teenager, my son just did an internship, a virtual internship. And it was kind of cool because at a regular internship, you'd be, I don't know, like sitting in a meetings with people. But this internship was more, I got a half hour Zoom with this person. What do you want to know about me and my job? So he was sort of interviewing people. So he interviewed a sort of junior woman at this organization who was really helpful to him and nice during his time there. And he asked her for her sort of best career advice. And she told him, negotiate your first salary. She said, I didn't do it. I was so happy to have a job that I just said, oh, great, thanks. I took her first salary and didn't negotiate. And I'm like, wow, what good advice? Because I definitely would, right? You're so happy as a 23-year-old to get a job, you just take it. But she said, I now every time I negotiate an increase, I'm starting from lower than I needed to have. And, and studies show, because I looked at this, that you can lose up to half a million dollars over the course of your career if you're somebody who didn't negotiate your starting salary of your first job over somebody who did. Hmm. 
I had an experience once where I also feel like this stuff was not discussed. I don't know. Like, no, maybe money was considered like not something to be discussed. But I went, it never occurred to me, literally never occurred to me that when I went into a job, I had any say in how much I got paid. Exactly. I took a job and this was years and years and years ago. And they were like, this is the salary. And I said, oh, thanks so much. And I went and sat at my desk. And maybe six months later, I realized that the person sitting next to me, I don't know even how it came up, was making like doing the exact same job as I was, was making maybe $50,000 more a year, a lot more money than I was. Whoa. And I went into my boss and I was like, uh, dude, what the heck? Like, why would you be paying this gave $50,000 more than me. And he was so mad at me, my boss. I mean, he really like read me the riot act. Like, how dare you? For asking? And I did not get any more money. See that? Like, it's not as simple as see all we have to do, ladies, is just show up and ask for what we want. Speak up. Right. You were not rewarded for that. No. Did you quit? Oh, no, no. I mean, I was just outraged. I was like, you people are fools. And I think I left yeah. pretty soon afterwards. I definitely feel like I have a good vibe on like, don't mess around with me, but it's not always that easy, you know? No, it's not always that easy. All right. So we went to our Facebook page and we asked people in our Facebook group, which is always a great conversation at facebook.com slash groups slash what fresh hellcast. So we asked everybody there, if you're a woman married to a man, where are the places and spaces that you might have your husband talk to the guy, negotiate on your behalf? Because Either you think your husband is better at it than you, or because you think he's not necessarily better at it than you, but he'll get a different or better answer. Mm -hmm. And most people were like, oh, yes, I'm quite familiar with this. Jillian said, cable company. She said, I call and we're locked in at some outrageous price, and that's the best they can do. My husband calls, and somehow we've been upgraded to premium channels, faster internet for two-thirds of the cost we were paying before. It's interesting. Do you send your husband in to have the difficult conversations? I mean, I don't like talking to humans <laughs> in this way. So it's a hard. I was trying to think about it when we were prepping for the episode. Like, I want my husband to call and order the pizza. Like, I don't like to talk to humans on the phone. And so he does do a lot of this. And I think I've said this before. I had some friends over yesterday. We were sitting in my backyard and we had just gotten our roof replaced in a slightly costly and emergency mm. event. And my husband and I really break down. I mean, I got married when I was 36. I ran my own life forever, but I'm not a numbers person. I was never good at math. My husband's a mathematician by training. And I don't know, he runs the house and I'm basically like, I know nothing, see nothing. They were like, are you gas or electric? And I was like, do, do, do. I don't know the answer to any of these questions. Like I am a scary 50s housewife, but <laughs> it's not about negotiating. In fact, I think that I would probably be a stronger negotiator than my husband in certain realms. What I basically do is because I don't like to talk to humans. I'm like, I love to talk to people in conversation. I don't like to talk to people about getting a pizza. I don't know what that is. But I often am like, tell him this, then tell him this, then tell him this, then tell him this. So I'm probably the worst case scenario. Well, the pizza thing, like that's one of Marissa Porges's sort of concrete things we can teach our kids to do. Of course, all your kids, not just your daughters, but make your daughter call and order the pizza. Make your daughter order for herself in the restaurant. Like nobody wants to talk to the pizza guy, right? But make your kid yeah. do it. Help them exercise those muscles of asking for what they want. But what is the, I mean, I think I'm 
post pizza talking. You know what I mean? Like I talked to the pizza guy until I was 36. Like, I don't know. I don't think that it's, I guess it's a good practice to have your kids and especially your daughters like interact with people. But I don't know. I don't feel that it is like a problem that I don't talk to the pizza guy. Well, somebody has to talk to the pizza guy. Yeah, but I talked to the pizza guy for a long time. Now I have a husband. He could talk to the pizza guy. <laughs> but you did it first. I think it's like if you get too good at outsourcing your difficult conversations, outsourcing your difficult conversations doesn't make you better at having difficult conversations. It makes you worse. I guess that's true. And frankly, I don't really see the pizza guy as a difficult conversation. I see it as an I don't know. I don't know why I don't like to talk to humans. But yes. So like contractors. So Natalie said on the Facebook page that she's afraid of confrontation and she doesn't want to talk to somebody to tell them when they've done something wrong that her she feels like her husband can be way more direct. I would definitely hide like I can think of an example where somebody put a scratch in my floor and I just decide to fume about it instead of calling up and yelling. And I would There are definitely times when I have felt like, okay, this is what we want done. And they told us it was October 1st. And now they're telling us November 15th, unacceptable, but it's a bunch of men and they're not listening to me. So I need you to call and yell at them and get this to happen. And he can do it. Like I'm literally instructing him to go in and say this and get this done and he'll do it. It's not like he disagrees with me and go in and do it, but I feel like I am getting a different answer because they'll be like, all right, little lady, you know, you don't really understand how roofing works. Yeah. I think this is changing, but I know what you mean. Well, it is changing, but we have to, you know, own some of the making it change. But we're not crazy to think that this is like Lenore says, it's funny you should ask this because my husband insists that this is not a thing, that him speaking to someone doesn't yield better results. It's kind of infuriating, actually, because I know that at times it does. And the example she gives is a 504 meeting. Like if you're talking to school administrators about your kid's special learning plan, she feels that if something comes out of her husband's mouth, it's taken more seriously than if she says it. That's interesting. I feel like there's an age component here as well. And Mm -hmm. the reason why this is important is because your daughter is going to be 16 to 36. That's the thing. Yes. I feel like in midlife, I don't really have this problem anymore. Like the roofers left a bunch of roofing materials on the ground. My daughter sliced her foot open on one of them after they had told us they cleaned up. And like, I'm like, you don't want to deal with me on this. Mm. I actually had my husband do it because I was like, I'm going to like scorched earth if I talk to them. And so I had my husband handle it because he's more reasonable, you know. But I, in my midlife, have just like sloughed off the thing of like, I'm afraid of confrontation. I don't know. I feel like I am like in my full truth on my home planet at my full power in midlife. But I was just talking to friends about this, about just much more the thing of like being like 17 and wanting to be liked by boys and being in constant situations. Yes. Thank God I basically was too much of a loser to ever really be in these situations. But to me, the problem was like, I didn't have that when I was 17, 18. I didn't have it when I was 30. You know, I was out in Hollywood, like going to meetings and laughing at guys' gross jokes and trying to get jobs. You know, like I didn't have that thing where I was like, you're gross. Am I funny? Are you giving me the job or not? Which I probably would have done better if I had been like that, but I didn't have it then. Yes. I mean, the comedy world, right, is a male dominated. It's like the most male dominated worlds, I think, other than like car repair. Comedy rooms have somebody was just asking me on the sitcoms I worked on, you know, how well represented were they in a diverse way? I'm like, oh, God, there were like in each show, there were 14 white men and one white woman. 
on all of the shows I worked on. There was the guys who wore their baseball caps forward and then the one guy who wore it yep. backwards. That was the diversity of the white dudes in Oxford shirts and jeans. And I got really good at going along to get along in that world and right and laughing at the jokes that either weren't that funny or were the jokes I made 10 minutes ago and nobody laughed and now the guy is repeating it and everybody's laughing and it drives you nuts. Yeah, so I think that's interesting as I think about this because I'm a little bit like, huh, I don't know about this. But then I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> think back 20 years because... That's the thing. Like, can your daughter get through 16 to 36? Yes. All right. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, our interview with Marissa Porges. Her new book is What Girls Need, How to Raise Bold, Courageous, and Resilient Girls. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby's skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Hello, Hellions. You know we listen to a lot of podcasts that aren't our own. And today we want to tell you about a podcast that really speaks to us and will speak to any parent of a child with special education needs. The podcast is called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. One of my kids has an IEP, and I found this podcast so validating and so helpful. I feel better equipped to advocate for my child's educational needs now. This podcast is helpful for parents in many different situations, whether your child already has an IEP or you're just starting to wonder if they might need extra support in the classroom. Juliana has content for kids of all ages and for kids who are learning English as an additional language as well. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Our guest today is Marissa Porges. She's head of the All Girls Baldwin School, which is renowned for helping girls thrive personally and professionally. Dr. Porges majored in geophysics at Harvard. She flew jets for the U.S. Navy, served as a counterterrorism expert in Afghanistan, and as a cybersecurity advisor to the Obama White House. Her new book is What Girls Need, How to Raise Bold, Courageous, and Resilient Women. Thanks for being with us, Marissa. Thank you for having me, Amy. It's great to be here. I loved this book, and it really inspired a lot for me, right? Because you put the lens of what we need to teach our daughters through what we as women are struggling with as adults. And I recognized a lot of things that I don't do very well or don't do enough of, and not that it's my fault, but that I'm not a good negotiator. I'm not a good asker. This, this is something we need to correct 
sooner rather than later and our daughters to make things easier for them. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, that was fundamental to why I was inspired to write the book. It was looking at the girls I'm now uh, have the good fortune of, of leading in the community I'm part of here at Baldwin and saying, what can we do to better prepare them through the lens of my personal experience, the stories that I share with colleagues and, and you know, women, I think, around the country and world who are, are facing some of the similar hurdles as we navigate both personal and professional lives. And those daily challenges, I think our lessons really should be taught younger and younger to help prepare the next generation. Do you think, sorry, this is an obvious question, but I'm thinking about this. Are these skills innate? Are these things that we're just teaching our boys to do and squelching them in girls, but we have them naturally? That is a fantastic question because it goes to the heart of some of what I'm seeing here every day, because I do think that there are some innate skills that our girls have that we don't help build as strengths. And then there are some things that we could be doing a little more of, but social norms or just sort of uh, gender diet bias that starts from a very young age weakens that skill set in our young women. A great example here is this idea of asking and raising your voice. Any parent of young kids knows that both our girls and boys, our sons and daughters, speak up, speak out, ask a lot. But at some point along the way, in studies show it starts happening, you know, in late upper elementary, early preteen years, that stops happening quite as often. And in particular for our girls, we see them speaking out less and less often. But any woman would say that part of a fundamental skill you need when you're an adult is being able to not just take a seat at the table, but be able to then use your voice when you're there. And I realized personally, you know, a story in the book is I can vividly remember being at the White House and my first opportunity to sit down with the leader of the free world, the president of the United States, and suddenly I lost my voice. And we were talking about national security issues and my areas of expertise. And for an entire meeting, I didn't say anything. And I walked out and was just sort of horrified at myself after so many years of thinking I'm going to lean into these moments and as a woman stake my claim. And I had this pivotal career moment and didn't live up to those expectations I set for myself. I was had the good fortune of later having a follow-on meeting and, and had that chance with President Obama. And so for me, I had that moment. But I don't want our girls, the next generation, to ever sort of have that experience themselves. Of course, we all might. But there are concrete ways, even when our kids are young, and, you know, we can start helping them practice, helping them lean into and build that muscle of asking, raising their voice and doing things that I think a lot of women would say we would wish we did a little better as adults. Let's talk about those. I thought you had some really good examples in the book, like when it's time to call the pizza place, make your daughter do it. None of grownups hate doing that too, right? But there are a lot of ways we can teach our girls to use their voices early and often. Give us some more of those ideas. Yeah. I mean, that's a funny one. That is one I took from one of my students. She was talking about how you know, she's now in high school and she had gotten better at asking for help in class and reaching out to teachers. And when she sort of stumbled in a class, finding other moments to ask for the help she needed. And asking for help is something we want all our kids, but particularly our young women to do because we need it as adults. And she pointed out that when she was younger, her father, actually, her dad would make her call the pizza place, not her brother, <laughs> um, but her. And she hated doing it. And eventually she got used to it. I think it very much depends and there's personal ways to do it. And it's not about doing big things. A lot of these are little things we can do. Another example is using things like change.org, an online petition generator to help our girls find other ways, not just using the phone to call pizza place. It's sort of a reason not to use that app on your phone, but something online. 
something that we can do even while remote to sort of help them raise their voice and speak out. Another example is the next time when we finally are able to get out to museums or go to the amusement park. You know, having your daughter be the one who asks for directions, having be your daughter be the one who speaks on behalf of the family to place the order at the ice cream parlor. It sounds kind of silly as an adult when we think about these, but these can be really crucial moments where we show our girls that we value their voice and that we're holding them up as examples for how to speak up and ask for what they need. I, I'm thinking, so my daughter and my family is the youngest, and actually in Margaret's family, my co-host as well, our daughters have two older brothers, and so that's sort of doubly compounded. They are the only girl and also the baby of the family, so their chances to speak for the family are fewer. And I've noticed we've had, you know, long dinner conversations as families over these last months because nobody has anywhere else to be or anybody else to talk to. And so we're having long conversations. And I have my kids are older. I have teenagers. We talk about politics and that kind of thing. And when my daughter tries to offer something up, she tries to enter the conversation by agreeing with her older brothers usually. And you would think that was, <laughs> how can you find fault with somebody agreeing with you? Mm-hmm. But they're sort of like, you're just saying that. You're just trying to agree with everything I said. You're just saying that because I just said it. And that's sort of like, you'd certainly shoot her down if she said the opposite. So she's trying to find common ground. And anyway, she gets a lot of speaking up for herself training in my house on a daily basis. Well, but that's great. And then I think it's the moment where as parents, we need to make room at the table, at the dinner table in this instance for, you know, give an example to your sons as well and say, hey, give her a moment, let her finish her sentence. And then Mm -hmm. giving her that actual physical time and space to be part of the conversation. It is a signal sender that our kids, they sop up and they'll read those signals and, you know, again, lean into owning their voice more and more. So you say after asking comes persuading, right? That Mm -hmm. you ask and then the answer is no. And then there's the step of persuasion that we definitely as girls and women might tend to pack up and go home a little bit sooner. Can you talk about how we can teach our girls the art of persuasion? Oh, gosh, that's such a critical one. And, you know, studies still show that women um, don't no- negotiate as often or as effectively as men. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you know, part of this persuasion conversation is how we close that gap. And I mean, it all sort of gives everything from the, it's part of this, why salary gap is still out there, um, but also why, you know, not even on the home front, I think the conversations now, but how we balance our needs as, as women on the home front, particularly with work and parenting demands conflicting right now and competing. So going back to how we build that in our daughters, I think this is when we provide them moments to try to persuade us. The outcome doesn't have to change, but we build more and more of those moments for practice. I think practice really builds the skill set more than anything. And then providing feedback on how it went. An example here is, you know, the next time they're asking for something, whether it's a pet or a new toy or even just a play date, right? And you say, okay, come back in 30 minutes and give me the three reasons why. You don't have to change the outcome, but then maybe you say, listen, this is what went well. This is what I thought was convincing. This is what I didn't. And it's a funny thing. It sort of treats them as an adult in a moment in a way that, again, validates the act of persuasion more than anything. And a great example here from the girls I interviewed for the book was a couple of my students who they do PowerPoint presentations when they want a play date on a weeknight. Um, they also did it. And so they showed me one and it was fantastic. And the final slide had a, this is our plan for the cupcakes, the movie, what we want to watch and the tent we want to build in the living room. But they were so energized by this idea that their parents would spend the time and validate both their ask and this moment of persuasion that they leaned into it. And it was a 
fun thing for them to do. So again, I do think it's both validating the act and then finding moments to help our girls practice this over and over that really has impact in bigger ways than we imagine as parents. And one of the takeaways you give for parents in the book that hadn't even occurred to me is the next time your daughter wants to have a play date on a weeknight and you're going to say yes anyway, take the moment and say, well, you know, take 15 minutes and come back and explain to me, you know, why that's going to be okay, how you're going to get everything done you know, homework wise and still walk the dog and still have that play date. Let them sort of advocate for themselves, even when you already know that's the perfect time to let it go their way because it's an easy win for them, but they don't necessarily know that. Exactly. And I think this is when we can lighten the load as parents, right? It's not about doing things different. It's about just having pausing and thinking, well, how can I use this moment to reinforce some of the skills we want our girls to learn early on? All right. So let's go through some of the skills that you articulate in the book that you think that we are not teaching our daughters enough of right now. So I think it's important to remember some of them are skills our girls have and we want to reinforce, even as there's some that we're not maybe doing as much as, you know, on the latter, it's things like, you know, raising your voice, self-advocacy, negotiating, those things that by and large we see as an adult. Women are still a step behind our male peers. It's as important to remember, though, that our girls have some innate skills that will set them apart as young women and as adults. And a great example of this is on the front of collaborative problem solving. Studies show that young women, girls, preteens are better by and large than their male peers around the world at problem solving in teams. It's because of how girls naturally communicate. It's about social norms by how we find consensus. That example you talked about earlier about your own daughter at the dinner table. And this is something that employers are hiring for, that we know that problems at work in the world around us require teams and collaboration to solve. You know, I have my own examples from, you know, when I was in the military and flying off carriers and every problem we faced in the plane was, you know, a team effort to solve. And I can remember being in the jet one night during an emergency when my teammate was another woman, a female aviator with me in the jet. And I can just think how we've solved the emergencies and the problems that night. And I overlay it in terms of how I see our girls leaning into their innate problem solving right now. And it's something that we can reinforce and build and help them practice. So that is an advantage when they're adults too. I see. So it's not just about like, become more male-like in your interactions and you'll get ahead. There are ways that our innate skill sets as women are better and are useful. Exactly. And I think more and more as the, you know, work in the world continues to evolve, we'll see that some of these innate qualities that are come easily to our women, empathy is another one. Women, you know, there's a perception in the world that women are empathetic, but studies actually bear out that perspective taking is something that is reinforced for girls at a young age. And so it helps us be more effectively empathetic. This is something that's a skill set businesses need and the world needs more of. And again, these are skills that can be something our girls have as a natural advantage. So I do think it's important to remember this is not about making our girls act more like boys. It's about helping them be their best selves and making that their advantage. What do you think your parents did right with you to raise a daughter that is so eloquent, who has done so much and so many sort of different male dominated areas, majoring in a science at college, specializing in counterterrorism? I mean, these are sort of stereotypically male fields. What do you think you learned at an early age? Oh my goodness. I look forward to sharing that message with my parents. So thank you for saying it. You know, I think this is the moment when we remember as parents to see um, personally what energizes our kids and then helping them lean into that. For me, it was at an early age realizing this dream of, you know, 
flying jets was actually something to reinforce and validate. Every girl will have their own thing. And it's about giving that voice and giving it space and reinforcing it as something special. And then letting them and trying to find ways to help them safely and with support take risks to get there. And this is something that, you know, we talk a lot about resilience these days. And mm-hmm. part of the book is well, what skill sets help somebody be resilient. Right now, adaptability is something we're all thinking about more and more facing the pandemic and what school looks like and whatnot. But that is also something that over time reinforces resilience and risk taking in these other behavioral norms. And I think that's something that I was had the good fortune of uh, being part of my day. And so it was the time I fell down on the field and was told to, you know, brush myself off and get back in there. And moments like that, I think from an early age really had a lasting difference for me. So before we started recording, we were talking about the Baldwin School, all girls, educational environments, and those don't exist everywhere that our listeners are listening. But tell us about the sort of the benefits of all girl environments for our daughters and the places we might be able to find those if it's not a school. Thank you, Amy. It's such an important question because I do think that particularly for young women, girls in elementary school or preteen and in teenage years, it's incredibly important to find moments and ways to allow them space in a single sex environment. And that doesn't have to be at a school. Not every area has all girls schools. It could be a summer camp. It could be a summer program or a program outside of school where you're allowing space for your daughter to be with other girls and in an environment that reinforces these ideas that girls should be leaning into STEM, for example, computer science, engineering. Girls should be learning to raise their voice. Girls should be self-advocating. Research shows that in co-ed environments, girls speak up by and large three times less often than male peers in the same environment. But when you remove the young girl, this is actually a study that was done on a playground. And when you remove that girl and put her in a play group that was just with other girls, she spoke out and spoke up just as often as the boys did in that co-ed play environment. And I think we see it as a something that is reinforced socially, something that is just, you know, unfortunately a norm still to this day. And finding ways and moments to give girls protected spaces where they can learn their voice, practice using their voice, have things reinforced about the importance of them pursuing their passions, even as, but especially if it is in STEM or maybe a sports environment. The new book is What Girls Need, How to Raise Bold, Courageous and Resilient Women. Tell us who you wrote this book for and where we can find it and where we can find your work. Thank you, Amy. The book is out now and it's available online, Amazon and other places. My website as well, marissaporges.com, has the book as some excerpts, as well as resources for parents and educators and even young women. The book is geared at parents, teachers, but anyone who has a young girl in their lives who wants to figure out how we can better prepare the next generation of young women to be leaders and change makers for the next generation. I have loved this book. I have dog-eared it with a lot of ideas I'm going to take with me. Marissa, thanks so much for talking to us today. Thank you for having me. It's been great to be here. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. 
Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Many of us have hair that is shedding more freely than we would like it to, and there are a lot of reasons for that. And let's be honest, some of us, I'm pointing to myself, have all of these reasons. But whatever the cause of hair shedding might be, Nutrafol's Hair Health Quiz is a great place to start. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, with over one million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. Nutrafol's three-minute quiz analyzes all of the factors that affect hair growth. Then they create a customized hair health plan that is unique as you are. Start your hair growth journey today by taking Nutrafol's hair wellness quiz and get your personalized hair health plan today. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping at Nutrafol.com quiz when you enter the promo code laughing. Let me just add that Mother's Day is approaching, and if you've had your eye on Nutrafol but you weren't sure if you should go for it, you definitely should. And if you need to leave a hint out for the gifting elves in your house, or maybe they're listening right now, I'm going to spell it for them. Nutrafol.com. That's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com slash quiz. Then use the promo code laughing to get free shipping and $10 off the first month. Amy and I are customers. That's Nutrafol.com slash quiz promo code laughing. And now, 2020, January versus July. From the What Fresh Health Podcast. January. I really splurged in this expensive planner, but it's the one item I know I'm going to get a lot of use out of. My vision board is looking amazing, and I just have a feeling 2020 might be my best year yet. July. I just dream of having a conversation with someone who is not a member of my immediate family. January. This is my year, guys. 365 days of clean eating, gluten-free, carb-free, sugar-free. Let's do this. July. Who ate the last of the Ben and Jerry's? Oh, wait, it was me again. January. I'm going to finally take up baking this year. July. Who wants more muffins? Oh, nobody. Nobody wants more muffins ever? January. This year... I am committing to cherish all of the special moments I get with my kiddos. July. I can't go back to remote learning, people. I either have to get these kids out of my house or I have to sell them. January. Here's my theme for 2020. Stop getting bogged down in the minutia. I'm going to keep my focus on the big, important things. July. It's Match the Tupperware Tuesday. Who wants to come help mommy? Oh, nobody? Nobody wants to help mommy? This has been 2020, January versus July. From the What Fresh Hell podcast.
So this book, Marissa's book, has taught me that I need to practice the negotiation and the ask sort of for myself. I need to model that for my daughter. Funny, in all things, right? We keep learning this on this podcast. I feel like if you want your kids to not yell, then you need to not yell. If you want your daughter to be confident asking for more money at work, then you have to do that and let her see it. Oh, it's so true. And like, so much of this stuff is spot on and true. But also, I always push back against the thing of like, you are in control by following certain steps in how your kid turns out. Like your kid basically turns out the way you model them. So this is work that you're doing on yourself primarily, I would say. Yeah. So, I mean, one way you can do that is to sort of model the struggle of having the difficult conversation and then explaining to your kid, daughter or son, like, I felt really uncomfortable saying that, but I was really annoyed that they didn't clean up the roofer stuff. Like I didn't want to call and yell. <laughs> Sounds like you did want to call and yell. Like that wasn't right. And somebody needed to say that, or they needed to hear that I didn't like that they let their kid, you know, jump on my couch, whatever it is. They need to hear you talk about this is difficult and I'm going to say it anyway. And the moment we're in, like God, like the uncomfortable conversations are daily, right? About like, this feels right to me. This doesn't, you should do this. You shouldn't do that. There's lots of opportunity to practice right now. And I do feel like it is the kind of thing that you can practice. And I have so many memories. My mom was kind of a tough broad in her own way. She had like worked in DC and had jobs and stuff. She got married late and I always remember once we got stopped by a very young male police officer and she had gone through a stoplight that was like covered in branches. She couldn't see it. And all of the kids were in the car and she, the guy was just giving her a really hard time. And at some point he said to her, I could confiscate this car. I could impound this car. And there were like seven kids. It was one of those stuff station wagons. And my mom said to him, you know what? That's the best idea I've had all day. And she stood up and got out of the car and started walking away. And this like, you know, 24 year old cop was like looking at this group of seven (laughs) monsters screaming out of the station wagon. He was like, ma'am, ma'am, come back, please. And I remember just being like, oh, like, I feel like witnessing your mom be strong is the best thing you could do for girls, basically. Yeah. You don't have to like walk away from police officers. I'm not recommending that course of action at this time. But I just think there's a lot of times, even just watching my mom in a room full of men and she would be like, I think you're wrong there. And it just, it's such a memory that like, it was very implanted in the skin level for me of like, men aren't always right. And I don't know. I feel like Mm -hmm. the modeling is so key. Absolutely. Yeah, my mom was awesome. So Linda... Babcock and Sarah Lashever wrote this book 20 years ago called Women Don't Ask. And they sort of explored this, you know, when we do or don't ask and speak up for ourselves. And they made an interesting point 20 years ago that I think is still true now that we are much more comfortable asking when we're doing it on behalf of our kids. Like we will show up for our kids and negotiate and do what we have to do. Like I remember getting my daughter was in the hospital and a um, long story, but she had a pain patch that was supposed to be put on an ankle that was very painful and nothing was working to make this ankle less painful. It's a very long story, but one thing worked. Can you imagine what it was? Sleep. When she could sleep and she would not have to feel how much this ankle hurt until she woke up. And the nurse came in at like six in the morning to put the ankle patch, to wake her up, to put on an ankle patch that was purely for pain relief. 
And like, don't wake her to put on this patch that will be of moderate to low pain relief when she has pain relief right now because she's asleep. If it were me and they would, and they came in to put the pain patch on for myself in the bed, I would have been like, oh, okay. And, you know, but for my daughter, I was like, you will not wake this child. Cause of course, you know, when you work in a hospital, like 6 a.m. feels like the middle of the day to you. So I know she thought I was crazy, but I didn't care because it was about my kid who was suffering. That's an interesting point. That's right. And I think that's right. It's advocating for other people very easy. Like yes. my daughter got cut by roofer materials. Very, very easy. Yeah. But I want an equal spot at this table in this way for myself much, much harder. And I mean, I think the point of it is Michelle said this on Facebook when we talked about this in the group. She said her husband doesn't care about what people think of him. And that's what makes him a good negotiator. That and is so true. That's it, right? In this moment with this nurse, like, I don't care if you like me or not, you will not wake my daughter right now. And I think we need to care less about what people think of us because they won't like it. They don't like it when women say this is unacceptable and you know, you're charging me too much for this muffler, whatever. <laughs> they won't like it, but so what? You are charging me too much for this muffler or whatever. I believe that's an old deluxe alert. I can't name the ad, but and I won't pay too much for this muffler. I'm making a reference. That is for sure an old deluxe alert. Right? Back in my day. I'll find it. Are there even still mufflers? <laughs> Do those things still exist? The other problem might be that I should know what a muffler is and when I need one and where it goes in the car. I mean, I do sort of pull it uh, like, I'm a dum-dum, as you said. Like, I don't know anything about cars. I need to fix that in myself, too. I don't know that that's true, Amy. I don't know that that's true. We were having this whole debate yesterday, and I was like, why should both myself and my husband know everything about how everything in the house works? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like compartmentalizing the work is completely fine. And that's a separate issue. My husband is better at math and better at mechanical things than I am. I can't fix like, I am the person who cannot turn on the TV in the house. I'm always like, kids, how do you turn on the TV? You know, but I don't think that's what needs to be fixed. I don't think I need to research mufflers to make this whole theory work. I think I need to yeah. feel strong in my own voice and speak in that voice. And like when we do business deals, you and I, we need to speak up for what we want. And we need to, you know, run our business in a way that is like, hey, Here's what we need, deserve, and want. But I don't think you need to learn what a muffler is to make this work. I feel like that's a wrong path. I thought you were going to say a different wrong answer, which I'm going to cop to. A diff that would also be incorrect is assume that my husband knows more about mufflers than, like, we both don't know anything about mufflers, TBH. Right. <laughs> and, right? And yet I'm like, it's the car, like, daddy, come talk to the guy at the dealership because I don't know what he's talking about. Like, my husband doesn't either. It isn't like testosterone makes you know more about a carburetor. It might and it might not. And yeah, I am just happy to let that stuff pass by me. But I'm relying on a sexist assumption that if you plug it in, that really my husband knows how it works more than I do, which I don't think is really true. I think it's more about how you find your inner confidence and model that for your kids than it is about like, I hate to drive and I super hate to drive at night. I mean, talk about an oldie locks. I sound like I'm 90, but I don't like to drive at all. And I hate it at night. So whenever we go anywhere, my husband drives. I don't like to drive. And so now I'm married. I don't have to drive. This guy likes to drive. <laughs> it's great. But I don't think I need to like get over my not liking of driving to be a stronger woman. I'm all good with that. I need to speak up for myself in realms that are important, not learn to like to drive. 
So I want to engage with like, what's the worst that can happen, right? Because I think I need to move through life as somebody who wants to be liked. Like I want to be the most compliant customer this dental hygienist has ever had, right? Yeah. We call this gold star. Like yeah. when the doctor's like, you stood so still for that shot. I'm like, gold star, gold star. I got my gold star. Yes. Like I load my groceries onto the conveyor belt better than anybody else today. Yes. I have that. And yet, like if the guy at the Subway sandwich shop doesn't like it when I say, look, you have to make this again because I said no mayonnaise. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what I'm so afraid of. And again, if it was my kid crying because there was mayonnaise on the sandwich and we said no mayonnaise, that I have no problem with. But I would if it was just me. Okay, let me raise the stakes a little bit. You know, it, it has like salmon on it and I hate salmon that I have to go back up to the cash register and negotiate for myself, but make sure that I don't do it in a mean way so that they'll like me. Like what? I maybe need to remove that concern from my bag. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And it's just, again, it's that good modeling. And it another way that I find it manifests a lot is my daughter and I were like so gendered in my house. The boys like to watch like superhero series. And so my daughter and I have been watching Little House on the Prairie. As everyone who's following us on Facebook knows, I'm obsessed with shirtless paw and I'm way into Little House. But <laughs> shirtless paw is the perfect, like overconfident white male, you know, like GIF for our times, right? I gotta say, he's not overconfident though, Amy. He's just confident. He looks good, shirtless paw. You think he looks good? I mean, it's not like Zac Efron good, you know, it's... I don't know. I'm all here for shirtless paw. All right. But... As we watch it, I'm often like, see, here's what they're saying. And do you think like my daughter and I talk a lot about gender, you know, and see, they think that they can't do it because they're girls. And I don't know. I think that there's a way. I think it's very difficult to become a different version of yourself. You know what I mean? I'm not sure, Amy, that you're going to suddenly become someone who's like, I want the mayonnaise off and I want it now and like stamping <laughs> your foot in a subway. I don't think our goal should be like, can I become a completely different human than I've been for this many years, you know? But I do think this is a good thing to continually put in front of your kids, your boys and your girls, you know? Yeah. And you model a lot of like, I mean, I just find because I have boys and girls constantly, we are having a lot, they're playing all the time now because we don't go anywhere. And so <laughs> there's a lot of like, when your sister says stop, whatever you're doing, that stops it. So daughter- don't yell stop because the game will end and everyone's going to separate. You know what I mean? And like that is fundamentally a conversation about consent, you know, and we're not having that conversation. But why should the boys do this and not you? We just like loaded in a huge ton of concrete pavers to put a patio in our backyard. And the kids did it. And, you know, it's like this is everybody's job. You know, I just think it's not necessarily I have to become a person who suddenly yells about mufflers in order for my daughter to turn out okay. But the, you know, the concrete pavers, I think like for me, that's the takeaway. The people on our Facebook page, the women who said, I don't have a problem with this. So like one is Lillian. Lillian's one of our Facebook group super fans. We love Lillian. She says, I've been a Navy wife for 18 years. So I had to learn to do everything. And I have found I can do everything perfectly well. So Lillian, somebody who can negotiate in any situation, who can ask for what she wants, who doesn't have to send her husband in to do the hard part because she had to do it herself. And I have not had to do things like fix my car by myself. But I think that might be like having your daughter install the, you know, concrete pavers. That is the way to raise 
kids, including daughters who are resilient and who can speak up for themselves. And I think if you have trouble with the strength part, don't expect yourself to become a completely different person, but talk about that. Yeah. It's hard for me to go up and say, I want this the right way, but I just want it the right way. So that's what I'm going to do. Like you can talk it through. You don't have to become like suddenly I am going to be Wonder Woman every day when I jump out of bed so that my daughter turns out this very specific way. I think talking it through is really good and talking it through in examples of in books that you're reading, in interactions that you see. I didn't like how that boy just came into that group of girls and took their thing and like, Mm -hmm. huh, let's think about how you could do that. You know, whatever it is. Yeah. This is gender. This is everything, right? Like using examples from your life versus suddenly saying... I'm a new person. And and let your kids see you working it through and trying it on and struggling with it, right? Yes. You don't have to hide the discomfort. The discomfort's the point. Like, oh, that felt weird to go up and say, I didn't like this and you have to make a new one, but I'm going to do it anyway. Right. And thinking of Lillian, I have a good friend who lost her husband last year, very unexpectedly. And she's a person who has never done a lot of these things. And I was talking to her yesterday. And she's like, I killed two mice today. And I'm like, no, 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 I could never do that. And it's like, you can do a lot of things. Yes, you could. Yeah. And I think that it's not that you have to like kill mice every day to model to your daughter that it's okay. But I think the running and recurring theme of like, you can do hard things is very, very important to present constantly to girls. Love it. You solved it. Solved it. <laughs> I want to thank our guest for this week, Marissa Porges. Her new book is What Girls Need, How to Raise Bold, Courageous, and Resilient Girls. Guys, come find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash whatfreshhellcast. You can find us on Twitter at WFH Podcast. And you can find us on YouTube. Yeah. Can you believe it? TikTok. We're asking for what we want. We're showing up on TikTok. Move aside, whippersnappers. <laughs> I don't know if anyone wants us on TikTok, but we're there anyway. Yeah, come find us. We're on Pinterest. We're on Instagram. Come find us wherever you hang out. We will be there for you. And with that, we will talk to you next week. So long, everybody. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.